You know, since it's International Candy Day, <laughs> the dentists are happy, that I thought it would be most appropriate to show you this little video clip. Some of you will remember this little jingle, and uh, some of you will think, wow, why do I save the best for last? Well, this is the reason. Let's just kind of watch this clip. Yes, uh, so if you are from a certain generation, you would remember the song kind of goes like this, when you eat your Smarties, do you eat the red ones last? Do you suck them very slowly or crunch them very fast? Eat those candy-coated chocolates, but tell me when I ask, when you eat your Smarties, do you eat the red ones last? And you're wondering why you, you know, you, you eat your box of Smarties. As a matter of fact, I got a couple here. I may as well just throw them out into the crowd uh, from my little tickle trunk. There's another thing from the, the old days. All right, right back there in the back crowd, you're going to have to grab those Smarties. Right there, the Alibis. Okay, eat those Smarties. There you go, Greg Keith. <laughs> yes, yeah. You know, yes. You know, you're making, making it back to church where people are competing for the gifts the pastor throws out into the crowd. Uh, you can eat your Smarties last. Uh, you know, and I'm thinking, I used to think to myself, I'm sure that the red ones taste better than all the other ones. Uh, a little great marketing ploy there for the Smarties company. You know, well, there is something that is the Smarty equivalent in the spiritual world to that which comes or that which is saved last. And uh, we've been going through this whole prayer of Jesus as I began my time here. It started with Jesus always looking up before he moved out. And he was always prioritizing his time with the Father. Get filled up before you go out. And that should be a principle as we move forward uh, throughout this particular time and in the years to come. We always want to be looking up before we move out. Several other themes, uh, a, a thought that had come to me that I had, I had mentioned that Jesus' Jesus's, uh, ultimate plan for you is his intimate plan with you. What is it that the Father wants to do? Well, his ultimate plan is relationship, and he wants to uh, forge a relationship, a deep relationship with us, and out of that relationship, we long to tell others. Well, this is the last uh, message in John chapter 17, and you may go and you, you may review these different messages, but what you will find is that you will not see John chapter 17, we pray, in the same way. Uh, this particular message, saving the, the best for last, 
There is a, an equivalent uh, in, in this funny little story about Smarties, but here is what Jesus saves for last. He talks about heaven. And you may, may think to yourself, well, heaven is kind of far away, and what the difference does that make uh, in my everyday living? Well, listen to what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia, he wrote this. He said, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present were precisely those who thought most of the next world. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. See, it's heaven and thinking about heaven and longing for heaven that makes you want to be and makes you want to do more in this world. Three points about heaven that I would like to make. Let me read the text here. Why is heaven considered God's best? The text says this in the final four or five verses in John chapter 17. It says, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Now, he had just finished beginning that last paragraph saying, Father, I'm not just praying for those who are here now, but I am praying for all of those who will believe in me through their message. We talked about that last week. And then Jesus says, I want those whom you have given me, all those who have believed in me through the message of the gospel, to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed them to you, and here, here's a very important thing, and I will continue to do so. Remember the context. He's talking about heaven. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. So Jesus, in earlier in the chapter, he has already told us. Uh, he has already told us where he is going. Verse four and five. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. So he's saying, he's telling them, I'm going back to heaven. My time here is done. I've put my years of ministry, my years of walking this planet, 33 years, Bible scholars say, I will remain in the world no longer, verse 11 says, is going back to heaven. And yet, at the end of this prayer, John chapter 17, not only does Jesus pray about where he is going, but he also prays what he wants, having arrived back in heaven. What he wants is those that you have given me to be with us, Father, so that they will see my glory. The first principle that I would say about heaven, and we'll talk about some of the reasons why something that seems so far away has a powerful impact on where we are today, is heaven is the hangout of sanctified sinners. Heaven is, first of all, the hangout 
of sanctified sinners. We read that verse, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. And that is true for you, and that is true for those who have gone on before us who also have loved Jesus. In Bethlehem, when Jesus came, Jesus came to us, but in heaven we come to Jesus so that we can be with him. The only qualification is salvation by grace. That's why we say that heaven is a hangout of sanctified sinners. We have been saved by grace. We get there by grace. We are given this gift of heaven because of his goodness, unmerited favor. Not only will we be with each other, but we will be with each other in perfection. We have these images of heaven that are out there, contemporary images, and I'm, I'm thinking of the imagery of reunion. We've all been to family reunions, and part of the problem of our sinfulness, even in family reunions, because you've been to them, you think, oh, brother. You know, but many of us say, you know, this is a wonderful opportunity. I wish we could get together more often. And heaven is often described in the Bible as a reunion. Listen to probably one of the most important verses about what goes on in heaven. How do we get there? Who gets there? And everything like that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13. It says, my friends. So Paul is writing to clarify some of what he's hearing is a distortion in what we might call the afterlife. And they're getting all sorts of strange thinking. And so Paul, under the inspiration, wants to tell people what the truth is. And he says this, My friends, we want you to understand how it will be for those followers of Christ who have already died. Where is your loved one who was in Christ? What happened to them? And this is what the Bible says. Then... When you know what the answer is, you won't grieve over them and be like people who don't have any hope. We believe Jesus Christ died and was raised to life. Now, this is very important. The resurrection of Christ is what happens to you. And so why Paul taught, refers to the resurrection of Christ is you want to know what happened uh, because there's a philosophy out there, like people call it soul sleep. That when you die until the resurrection, you're just kind of in this limbo of unconsciousness. You're not, you know, praising God around with the angels. You just, you just kind of die, and you wake up at the resurrection. And that resurrection could be many, many decades away. You don't see that happening in the life of Christ. He says, I'm going to my father, and I'm going to go when Mary wanted to hug him after the resurrection, resurrection morning. Uh, I'm going to my Father. I'll be back. And so Jesus is speaking of a conscience, a conscious uh, uh, awakening in the presence of God. And so look to Jesus. You will have a body much like his when you are in glory. That's why the resurrection is so important. It's not just there, you know, as a cute little theological uh, foundation, but it's cute. It, it's great because... It's your imitation, what it is that's going to happen to you. Verse 14, we also believe that when 
God brings Jesus back again, he will bring with him all who have had faith in Christ and Jesus before they died. Our Lord Jesus told us that when he comes, we won't go up to meet him ahead of his followers who have already died, but with a loud command and with the shout of the chief angel and the blast of God's trumpet, the Lord will return from heaven. Then those who had faith in Christ before they died will be raised to life. In other words, boom. See, they don't have resurrection bodies right now. They have spiritual bodies. And the raising to life isn't like, oh, they're coming awake, okay, as if there was no conscious reality in the presence of God from the moment they died. The resurrection here is, boom, their, their soul gets reunited with a resurrected body. And we know that that body is going to be like Christ's. Verse 17, next, all of us who are still alive will be taken up into the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the sky. From that time all, from that time on, we will all be with the Lord forever. Encourage each other with these words. So heaven has an imagery of being a great reunion. The loved ones that you had here for which we grieve, it is not a grief similar to the world that has no hope about what goes on after death. We have grief, but we do not grieve the way the world does. Another illustration for this hangout for sanctified sinners is, uh, you know, you go on a trip and you see the postcard rack and you want to kind of send them one of those I wish you were here cards. It's so wonderful what it is that you're experiencing. Now, people can't come back and tell us what's going on, but oh, if they could, they would say, oh, I wish you were here. Let me just, Lord Jesus, please, let me just write a little postcard and send some sort of sign back to them, just simply saying, like on a beautiful trip, like on a wonderful vacation, I wish you were here because it's just so wonderful. So you get this mix of the wonders and the glories of what's going on. This is wonderful. It's all true. Everything that I heard in Sunday school, right up until when I died, the songs that I sang, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will. No, I can't sing that high. Started too loud, too high. But you know the hymn. But the Bible says it's not just a wonderful place. It's a wonderful place with the people that you love without sin. You know, what does heaven later have to do with living on earth now? Well, it has a great impact on soul winning. If you know that God promises those who are in Christ will be together, and if you have loved ones who don't know Jesus, yeah, they may not like the gospel, but it still, it compels us. It, it, 
We want to be with them. We know that it's a wonderful place, and, and we'll figure it out. It may need to come back door. It may be how we live our lives, and they're drawn to that lifestyle that they see oozing out of us of the life of God. Why do you have love? Why do you have joy? Why do you have peace in the midst of all those difficulties? They see something in you. But I'll tell you, heaven and that great reunion, that great, I wish you were here, it compels us now to share the gospel. Maybe those of you who are online, you're sitting there thinking, you know, I've got loved ones. I'm going to pray in greater earnest, and, and I get what you're saying, Neville, about heaven. And it does all of its beauty described, and it does all of the reunion promised compel me. Remember what C.S. Lewis said. You will find in history that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. Evangelism should be our response when we think about heaven. Secondly, why is heaven considered the best? Heaven is considered God's best because heaven is the showroom of divine distinctions. Heaven is the showroom of divine distinctions. So the Bible says this, then when they are where I am, Father, then they will see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. The glories of Christ. I can't I can't use words to describe the glories of Christ that he's had that we will see the divine distinctions. And when we, a few weeks ago, we talked about the holiness of God. And holiness means distinct, separate, unique, one of a kind. And there are things that we will see, places that we will go that, 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 that we get to experience the glory that Christ had, the glory that the Father had, the glory of the Spirit. It radiates from him. It magnifies him, heaven. That's what it's all about, the divine distinction. What separates God from everything else? We get to see that. It's a place where that which God, what made God distinct, is displayed in ways that we can understand and in ways that we can appreciate. We are limited now by our human existence, what our brains can grasp, what our physical bodies can endure, but that will all be changed. We'll have a different body that can endure. Another verse from a great hymn comes to mind, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Do you know where that comes from? Exodus chapter 32, 33, Moses says, let me see your glory. And God says, you can't because your body can't handle it. Anybody who sees my full glory will die, but we're going to be given a new body. And Jesus, the Bible says that God put Moses up against the side of a mountain and opened a rock. He said, I'll put you in there. You can't see my full glory. You can't see my face, but I'm going to pass by and you'll see my glory from behind because that's all you can handle. But we're going to see it. And when we see it, I'll tell you, you start thinking that way, it's going to change your life now. Heaven 
is the showroom of divine distinction. I, you know, what's he bringing up there this week? That's what you're thinking. What's in that box? These are distinctions. So my eldest daughter, my eldest child, okay? Let me just do this right, okay? She was Miss Teen New Brunswick, and she has a distinction, okay? And uh, I know you want me to wear it. It's cute enough. Thank you. It's cute enough. And uh, uh, that's a particular distinction. It comes and it goes. I got another distinction here, and uh, I've got a son who's a guide, our youngest, Elijah, and we're part heavily involved in the Sussex fishing game here, and he went out into a big competition, and he beat all the people in his age category, and it says, overall high score, youth. And there's a distinction. It'll come, and it will go. That's why Jesus says, don't work for you know, all the glories and the pleasures of stuff here on earth. Here's another distinction. Uh, by the Royal Canadian Mount uh, Legion, uh, this is to certify uh, another son, kid, uh, oldest son, kid number two. It's a, a reward of honorable mention in the, oh yes, I remember this, in the Remembrance Day, you may remember this with your kids, the poster contest. Okay, provincial finalist, 2010, and uh, it's just like a distinction, a distinction. Uh, you know, it'll come and it will go. And this baseball bat up my feet, my, my son, he turns wood on, on lathes, and uh, one of the first projects that he had was to, Dad, I want to do baseball bats, and oh, there it is, it fell down, and uh, you know, great if you're on a fishing boat and you need to clobber that, you know, fish that you pull, pull over. Uh, you know, you laugh, but I've seen this over in PEI, and they just clobber the, the fish. You know, but, you know, he turned that bat, and it's like a pretty good thing. And I think the, uh, his little label there was, get a grip, uh, baseball bats. And, uh, you know, distinction, come. But all that stuff, all that stuff, like, like the people that you see in the book of Revelation, you got uh, the four creatures, and they're holy angels, and then you got the 24 elders. They're taking all of their honors that they have, the crowns of the 24 elders, they lay at the feet of, excuse me, of the one who's seated on the throne. They are not worthy in the presence of the one who is filled with glory to take what it is for which they have been honored uh, to wear it in his presence. And, and that's what we will do. Like, we'll have all these things, distinctions, that have, you know, made us into the people that have, you know, people clap and things like that, and we'll think, that is nothing compared to what I'm seeing. This is what heaven is about. And we don't think about it this way because we're all focused on ourselves, but one of the things that, that is just so amazing is that we get to see, as, I mean, time, I'm not sure how we perceived time back then, but, but we, will, we will see things that we never thought the human mind could perceive. And, and it's just amazing. Uh, so that's why heaven is considered God's best, because it's a showroom of divine distinctions. I need somebody to... Uh,
run down and tell Lori that she can make her way up to the kids, uh, bring the kids up, because we're going to have communion uh, a little bit. But this last point, why is heaven God's best for us? Is because heaven is the workshop of continuous creativity. Remember the context. Jesus is talking about heaven. He's saving the best for last. He's praying words about heaven. Lord, I want those that you've given to me to be with me. This is the context for which we have the final two verses. O righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. And in the context of heaven, he prays this final verse, I have revealed them to you, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. So there's a unity that is spoken about, but what does it mean that I have revealed them to you, and I will continue to do so? He's not just talking about having revealed during their earthly time, but he's also in that context speaking about heaven of a revelation that will be given to us in his presence about who he is and what he's done. What he's done. And I think that that revelation, that revelation almost is, like, is, is illustrated by taking off of layers. They're, they're, unless God takes them off, we will never, ever be able to see his face for who he really is. And where things get revealed, there is a need to respond to it. The reason why we do ministry is as a response to what we know. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, In view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, I urge you to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. There is coming a day where you will get more revealed to you, and you will not, it happens now, even in our sinful state. It happens now where I know that I'm not worthy, but I just can't. I've got to do something. And that's where ministry, I've got to serve somehow. I've got to, this God who has been loving to me, I have got to respond. But heaven is a place where more revelation is given. That's why when you read the Bible at face value, you realize these people are busy. This is not like sitting around eating my Philadelphia cream cheese on a cloud somewhere. You've seen the commercial. This is not like I'm just waiting for somebody to throw a grape as I sit on my divine couch and in my mouth. Throw a grape in my mouth. Just serve me somehow. This is the place where the Bible says that Kingdoms are established and people are coming in and out of this city that is known as heaven. All that we know now will, be, will pass away. There will be a new reality, a new kingdom established. And there will be a time of continuous creativity because learning about the Lord will be continuous. Sometimes people think that you know, when you get to heaven, you're going to 
know everything. You will never, ever know everything because there is only one who is omniscient, all-knowing. And this was what tripped up the enemy in the garden, and he tried to trip up Adam and Eve, thinking that you will be as God. That's why God doesn't want you to eat from the tree from the knowledge, of the knowledge of good and bad. And, and we will never be omnipotent. We will never be omniscient. We will never be omnipresent, ever. So the teaching that you'll know everything, no, you won't. And Jesus will continue to reveal himself and his glory because he is, a big word, unfathomable. You jump in the water, you go down a naval term, you go down deeper and deeper, you go down fathoms and fathoms and fathoms, and our God, as the great theologians would say, is unfathomable. This creates a sense of awe. But in that sense of awe, we want to respond, and that's why you see people and the activity of heaven being extremely busy. All you need to do is read Revelation chapter 20, 21, 22, 23, 22. It ends at 22. And, and it's just like these people are really busy. It's almost as if it's Babel restored. This is what it says, one Bible commentator said about work. Even in our sinful world, work is honorable and still has the capacity to provide purpose and fulfillment. The problem is that many things can get in the way of enjoying a job, interpersonal problems, mismanagement, strikes, <laughs> uh, unrealistic demands, physical and mental fatigue. In contrast, work in heaven will be pleasant and satisfying. There will be no interpersonal conflicts, no impractical expectations, no fatigue. We'll have the perfect manager, spelt with a capital M. As Randy Alcorn, <laughs> I was talking to, to Dave, our guitar Dave, um, and uh, he was looking at Reading Heaven by Randy Alcorn. And I said... Hang on, because that is a massive book, you know, four or five hundred pages. But Randy Alcorn, who wrote the distinguishing work on heaven, he said this, we'll all have work to do in heaven, satisfying and enriching work that we can't wait to get back to, work that will never be drudgery. You know, the last email, my dad passed away, uh, two years ago this past summer, the last email that I sent to him was on the day that he died. He had a second retirement, 17 years at New Minus Baptist Church. Uh, he and Pastor Al had uh, been together at New Minus Baptist, and, uh, but he retired on a Sunday from New Minus and died on a Thursday at 9.30, and I'm sending him the email, to his office email, when my mother was calling me to tell me he passed away. Now, I didn't, I didn't know that he had passed away. I just sent the email. But this is the email. Pulled it out of his mailbox. And uh, I, he was due, because he had congestive heart 
failure issues, very fit, walked every day. For as long as I can remember, my father's exercised every day. And uh, so he was due to meet with the cardiac surgeon on Friday. He died on the Thursday. And this is what I sent to him on that Thursday, thinking of, thinking of uh, the story of Hezekiah, Hezekiah king uh, in, in Judah. And it says this, about that time Hezekiah became deathly ill. And I'm thinking about my dad being ill with cardiac issues. And the prophet Isaiah went to visit him, and he gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says, Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. And I thought, okay, well, what went on in the rest of that story? Well, Hezekiah cried out to the Lord, and the Lord extended his life another 15 years. So I'm thinking, well, maybe this could be my dad, because I know it's quite serious. And so I'm saying to my dad, uh, as I, I'm just explaining different things, but I said at the end, and here it is, I'm hoping that the Lord will extend your life. However, I believe your remaining years are meant to be served here in Fredericton because they were thinking, there's my mom there, they were thinking of when he retires there, maybe they'll come up to Fredericton. And I was at Majorville at the time, and I thought, oh, wow, it'll be fun. The Gosman boys, you know, ministering uh, together, uh, serving, serving Jesus. And, uh, and uh, I said, uh, you may not know how your living arrangements uh, uh, will work out, but God knows, and he'll take care of that. Uh, every good life makes a full circle so that people who knew you in the past are blown away by what God has done now. And uh, so it had been a good number of years since they had been in Fredericton. And even though Dad had an excellent reputation when he left, I'm sure that God was going to do something. So I'm anticipating that God would give Dad an extra 15 years while he died that Thursday. And I'm thinking like, okay, Jesus, like, that's a little late because he was supposed to meet with a cardiac surgeon the very next day. You know, and so Jesus and I, you know, we, we talk through that, and we get over that. But then it just dawned on me, holy mackerel, what I wasn't able to experience with my dad in this world, we're going to be able to serve Jesus in heaven. Because what, that's what the Bible teaches Heaven is the workshop of continuous creativity. We get to do things. See, your personality, God, God doesn't make any junk. Your personality is what will be fixed. It's just that you become a better you in glory. You become a, a purified, a spirit-filled, a everything that you are meant to be that may have been delayed, that may have been masked through, through sin that is against you or sins that you commit. God will restore all of that. And everything that you wished you could do, that you wish you could play, everything that you longed for, that you wish you could, you know, carve out, whatever it is that is longing deep down, you will have the opportunity in heaven to fulfill that. It will be yours. That is a wonderful promise. It, was, it assured me, and I thought, I'll just wait, Dad. I'll just wait because we 
we'll be able to serve together. You know, we have this time together, and, what, we're, and we're practicing. We're practicing. We've got this opportunity in, in these number of months just to enjoy each other's company, to practice, you know, serving. But, th- but there's coming a day when those of us who have sh- sh- uh, sh- shared a bond that is ACC will all get together. And we'll say to ourselves, you know, you know let's, let's build something to the glory of Jesus. And it'll just be us. It'll just be us. Those of you at ACC, you know, come on over here. Let's, let's talk about something. And God will do something because we shared something together here on earth. It will be shared in glory. Mark my words. Remember these words. Oh, that's what the Bible said. That's what Neville meant when he said, you know, heaven is a place of continuous creativity. So as we come to an end, just there are four reasons why we need to learn and we need to think about heaven. It's far away for some. Uh, It is further away if you're young than for others. But focusing on heaven reminds us that life is short. Focusing on heaven prepares us for the certainty. There is a certainty of judgment that is coming. Focusing on heaven, it motivates us to serve and to live pure lives now because we know that we will be rewarded. And focusing on heaven gives purpose and perspective to suffering. You may not like what it is that you have to endure, but you need to Romans 8.28 it. Because in all things, God works for the good for those who love him. And it would be terrible if you got to heaven and you realized there was no reward, there was no explanation, there was nothing for which you, you, you suffered. But God rewards that. He rewards that. We're going to transition into our time of communion. Where, where are the kids? Just kids? If you were down, and just wave if you could. Yeah, thank you, kids. Thank you for coming. And uh, we're so pleased that you're here to have communion. I want to explain a couple things just about communion. And then I'm going to ha- ask uh, Lori. Lori's going to pray for the bread and the juice a little bit later. And, uh, and then I'm going to ask, but before that, I'm going to ask Pastor Al, uh, because the Bible says that when we have communion, that we need to be, be good with Jesus. Are we good, Jesus? We need to get our hearts right. We're going to sing a song first, and then Pastor Al is going to come up, and he's going to pray uh, a prayer of forgiveness. Dear Jesus, forgive us. And then we're going to, everybody's going to grab the, the bread and the juice, and then we're going to ask uh, Pastor Lori if she could pray, because she's your pastor down in 
the kids' kids time. But there are two pieces of, there are two things that, let me just make sure that everybody has, just in case you don't have uh, bread in a, in a sandwich bag, uh, we've run out. I guess that's a good problem to have when, you, when you've run out of, but I'm, we're going to distribute. Just if you don't have any bread in with where you're seated, seated then uh, just, uh, just raise your hand and we'll make sure that uh, you get one of these communion sets. I wanted to do it because we haven't done it in a long time. I wanted you to really touch something. Because when you bite into that big chunk of bread that you have, uh, that is a symbol of the, the abundance. God has more. He has more to give you than, than what you could imagine. And when you drink and you just start drinking from, the, from, from your juice, that's like God just saying, I could give you more than you could drink. And God has so much to give you. But the bread represents something. It represents Jesus' body. Not just Jesus' body when he died on the cross, but it represents what Jesus did in his body and what we are to imitate. So bread, the body of Jesus. But then, when we drink, it is a symbol, it is a symbol of the blood that ran out of his body when he died. And that blood is a symbol of his sacrifice. He was sacrificed. He died so that we don't have to die. And so Jesus gave himself as a substitute so that we didn't have to be punished. He was punished by death. And that death is symbolized by blood. And we remember his blood by drinking this juice. So those two things, what he did in his body, he lived a perfect life. What he did with, by giving his body and dying symbolized by blood. And it's because he died for us that we can say, take away my sins. Lord, thank you that we were able to gather here together. And Lord, it may not be ideal, but Lord, we thank you that your spirit is at work in us, around us. Lord, the decisions that we make, you know, starting from the moment we leave this place, that it would be, they would be glorifying to you. Because of the songs that be sung, because of the fellowship that we've had, because of the word that we've heard, that, Lord, it would be pointing to you our actions in mind, heart, soul, and strength. And we thank you, Lord, that you've, you've in a sense, you've filled us a little bit. We've feasted, literally. And now, Lord, may you translate that into uh, power and glory for your purposes until we gather again. In Jesus' name, amen.